You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. If you have a paper Bible, you can turn there. If you have an app, you can open it up there. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We've been in Samuel for a while now. And uh, last week, uh, we are at this place now where David is the king. And he got the uh, ark back to Jerusalem. And the ark is sitting in a tent now. And, and he, he, wanted, he wants to, and he wanted to, build God a house, a temple. He thought it was kind of like ill-fitting that he that David had this great house and that the, the ark that represented God's presence sat in a tent. It's like, this isn't right. I want to build God a house, which is a good, good thing. It's, a, it's good intentions for sure. But then we found out that God said to him through the prophet Nathan, no, you're not going to build me a house. Um, and in some ways, you kind of, we kind of laugh about it. Like, how do you build God a house anyway? Uh, the scripture says heaven is his throne room and the earth is his footstool. You can't build a house that big. Um, but that, that really wasn't the issue. The issue was bigger than that. But God wanted to make sure David knew, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm building you a house, the house of David, the dynasty of David, your family, your line. It's going to reign forever. And it's uh, not so much even about David as it is about God because ultimately it's from David. David's line that we have Jesus, who we know does reign forever, and that's what that promise really is about. And so he makes this great promise to David, like, your line is going to last generations. Yes, there are some times between that point and now that it's up and down, and you could say now, I mean, they're they're in Israel, but it's not necessarily great for them right now, but you, you could see the ups and downs, but that line obviously has stayed forever because we do have Jesus. We do have Jesus. And so he went and he wanted to make these promises uh, that he was going to do all these great things for God. And God said, first, I'm going to do great things for you. And I I wanted to kind of remind us of the significance of that because it was standard operating procedure, even today, to get favor from, we'll say, a God and then do a favor for that God so that you can get future favor from that God. So what David was doing kind of followed the the same formula of any other religion or any other um, uh, following that anybody else had. So it's natural, but God sets himself apart here by saying, no, you're going to get favor and you're going to get future favor before you do anything for me. And when he does that, it inspires genuine worship and genuine action for God. In other words, We don't have to do it to manipulate God to get him to do things for us anymore. We do it because we're so moved by his goodness to us, and it's genuine, right? And so God kind of sets that standard for David, and it's also an encouraging thought for us because it means God is not a performance-based God. He's not not looking at how well we do at certain things to decide what he's going to do for us. That's not how that works. And it also meant, and this was the, the, the big takeaway from last week, I want, to rem- I want you to remember, I want you to learn this word, that God's promises, any promises that he makes, are indefectible. I don't know if that's a new word for you, but they're indefectible. It means they're not able to fail. They're not able to decay. They endure all casualties and all threats. Death doesn't destroy God's promises. David died. 
But his promises carried on for, for David, right? Sin doesn't destroy God's promises. We know ultimately because sin went to the cross with Jesus. But for David, he says, he says this, even for your sons, I will be their father. Uh, your son, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I'll discipline him and bring him back to the right place. So sin doesn't even stop God's promises and time doesn't stop God's promises. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever and ever and it'll be established before me. And I want you to remember that because God's promises for you are the same. They're indefectible. And I think probably the most common area where we miss this is when we think we've messed up so royally bad that those promises are null and void now. Like we just, we blew it. And that's not true. We're going to talk about the significance of what that means when we blow it and actually um, getting the, um, the, reaping the reward of those promises and the difference between the two today, but his promises stand no matter where you are today. So what we're going to see today, we're going to jump into verse 18 uh, of chapter 7. We're going to see David's response now to what God said to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this house. I'm going to establish you. I've chosen you. And so Nathan tells him this, and this is David's response, starting in verse 18. Then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence, and said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you. Lord God, for you also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future, and this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you're great, Lord God. There's no one like you. There's no God beside you, as we all have heard confirmed. And who is like your people Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people to himself, to make them to make a name for himself and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people you redeemed for yourself from Egypt. You established your people Israel to be your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and his house. Do as you have promised so that your name will be exalted forever when it is said, the Lord of armies is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. Amen. Amen. So he starts out, actually, verse 18, right before all this, it says, the king went in and sat in the Lord's presence. This is right after he gets told all these promises. He went in and sat in the Lord's presence before he began to talk. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever just sat in the Lord's presence or just sat down and did nothing for a while? <laughs> right? Like how many would, I would love to do that, Pastor. I'd find me the time, right? 
Um, I, and when I say nothing, I mean nothing. Like um, sitting down and uh, you know doing this does not count because you're still doing something. You know what I'm talking about, scrolling. Sitting down and scrolling does not count. Um, but sitting and literally doing nothing. just Or maybe you've gotten some really great news and you're speechless and you just kind of sit there and, and soak it all in. Or maybe the opposite, maybe bad news, right? He just got told that God's going to build his, his kingdom, his house out for generations. And in, in his mind, it had to be a huge weight off his shoulders. Like, it's going to be established. It's going to be done. God said that. He's soaking that in. And he's just marveling at it. Just wow, right? Some, some people thought, thought, I read this, I couldn't believe it. Some people thought maybe David was sulking because God told him he wasn't going to build the temple, and he really wanted to build the temple. But that's not at all what he's doing. Based on what we read here, he's very happy about the news that he saw. And so he sat there, and I imagine it's, it's in times like these. David was a songwriter. It's in times like these while he's sitting there that p- perhaps the lyrics would come to him, right? Or, or, or the lyrics of a poem just sitting and thinking and thanking. In fact, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, he writes, what is man that you're mindful of him? Could very well be in response to what he's getting right now. But he just sat. It's hard to do that today, isn't it? Like just to sit, not to be scrolling, not to be uh, occupying ourselves, right? It's really difficult to do that. But there's so much that we miss out on when we don't, right? David could have even, he could have even said, hey, I've got work to do. God said, I'm going to, you know, build this kingdom. I've I've got to be a part of this. But he opted to sit and stand and stay in the Lord's presence. And that was a choice that he made. I heard a pastor once say, you know, talking about this principle of uh, standing um, or, or sitting in the presence of God, just being still, even though your life is busy, being still. That he, he would say, you're always doing something, you're always doing something. And he would, he would say, well, don't just do something, stand there. I know, right? We say it the opposite way. Don't just stand there, do something. But he would, he would literally say, Mike, don't just do something, stand there. Hold on a minute. Think about this. Pray about this. And we've got to make those choices because those are the times of inspiration. Those are the times of strategy. Those are the times of discovery. And when we rob ourselves of that, we miss out on a whole lot of our relationship with God and just in life in general. But we have to make it happen. We have to put the screens down. We have to turn off the noise so we can sit in the Lord's presence. It says he sat in the Lord's presence. And then he says, you know, he says, you've brought me so far. Who am I that you've brought me so far? This is a little thing to you, God, but this is revelation for mankind. And that word revelation is actually the same word they use for Torah. The Torah is what refers to the law. So like the first five books of the Bible, they called that the the Torah, right? Um, But it's missing something to be used as Torah here because it was a little bit too um, legal in the sense. It was was a little too too much uh, focused on the manner in which things happen. Torah also could mean instruction. It could mean teaching, it could mean direction. And in fact, some of your translations may use one of that word, one of those words where it says, this is also instruction from the Lord. 
This is also direction from the Lord. This is teaching from the Lord. So what he's saying is uh, what you said isn't just revelation. It is a prescription for what I'm to do with my life now. Right? Yes, God's going to do the thing, but I want to participate in that. I want to do work with God. So this is now the direction that you've given humanity is what he's saying. What you've just said and, and how true that is, when you really think about th- historically this chapter of the Bible, when God makes this promise to David, it has a direct impact on our faith today because it's about Jesus. So he says this is revelation to, hum- to humanity. It's instruction. It's teaching. It's direction for us, right? It's pretty, pretty awesome he's saying this so long ago, right? Verse 20, what more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. You know me, Lord. You know me personally. You know me intimately, and you have chosen me. Another psalm, Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Every day ordained for me were written into your book before one of them came to be. It's an awesome chapter. Mark it, write it down for later, read it. We had to memorize the whole chapter uh, at uh, my first year at uh, Bible college. Uh, Pastor failed grade right down to the grammar and the uh, um, punctuation. And uh, if you ask me if I could recite the whole thing now, I, I remembered it long enough for that test. So, uh, but there's portions that I remember. And you, by the way, you should commit scripture to memory. But Psalm 139, you've searched me, you know me. And David is saying, you know me. And in, in a sense, it's almost like, and in spite of what you know about me, you chose me and you do this for me. And David's called a man after God's own heart. And I find him so relatable here. Right? I can't count how many times I've thought the same thing. Lord, in spite of everything, you know about me. And you know everything. You love me. You walk with me. But it's not because of me, obviously. It's because of you. Knowing me, it's not because I deserve it or I'm a really good person or because of who I am. This is to reassure me of who God is, right? And that he, like I said earlier, he does things in our lives not because we perform, but because of who he is. And the Lord is always willing to work with a surrendered heart, no matter what you've done. Verse 22, this is why you're great, God. There's no one like you. There's no one besides you, as all we have heard confirms. He's not performance-based, remember? Remember, he didn't want anyone thinking that future favor from him depended on what they did for him, right? He's content doing the work long enough to inspire real worship with no selfish motives. If you think about this, if God allowed it to be any other way, like, hey, you have to do X, Y, Z, you have to jump through these hoops, you have to do these sacraments, you have to um, pray these many hours, you have to do all this, and then I'll be with you. Could we 
genuinely love the Lord and experience his love if it was like that? I don't know. Because now I'm doing all these things to get something, right? But when he does all the things leading all the way to Jesus, going to the cross for me, and then blessing me in this life, and he does it irregardless of my performance, well, now I want to love him. Now I want to serve him. Now I want to bless his name. I want people to know him. Why? Not because I'm trying to get anything from him, because of all I've already received from him. Right? And that's significant. And that's what he says. There's nobody like you, God. There's no other God or concept of God or religion that exists that's like that. You're the only living God, and therefore it sets you apart. Verse 23, who is like your people, Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself to make a name for himself and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people, you redeemed for, for, for yourself from Egypt. You established your people Israel to be your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. He redeemed a people. He saw my Israel here, right? And uh, we know... Scripture teaches us, we say, Israel is God's chosen nation. I want to make sure we understand what that means. Because, um, yes, they, God has given them great favor and done great things for them. But there is a purpose. What he chose them for was bringing Jesus into the world. And in a lot of ways, that's why he, he goes the extra mile of defending them. Because by bringing Jesus into the world, they have made themselves enemy number one of the world. In all of history, in fact, sometimes or re, uh, not a while ago, uh, when I had a struggle with some things, I had a struggle with doubts. One of the things that just kind of confirmed God's word to me and who God is and and what the Bible says is is looking at Israel right now. Like, why does everybody always hate Israel? It makes no sense. <laughs> it, it's irrational when I look at it. I, I've tried to listen to different, certain arguments, but when you step back and look at Israel through the lens of Scripture, it all makes sense, right? And so when it says you've redeemed your people for, to make a name for yourself, yes, to make a name for himself by what he's done for them, but also by what he's done through them for us, right? He's redeemed them. He's made a covenant with them. He's made a covenant with us. Now, the Bible gives us two different kinds of covenants. There's conditional covenants and there's unconditional covenants. Let me give you an example. We have uh, way earlier before this, the Abra Abraham's covenant. When God came to Abraham, and it's one of my favorite little scenes in the Bible. Abraham's really struggling with, with his faith and this promise, and, and things are not panning out the way he thought. And, and uh, the Bible kind of, I'm paraphrasing, it says, God kind of took him and said, hey, come out here with me outside. Look at the stars. I, I, I love the scene because I, I think that's the kind of God we serve. It's like, come here. Come here, Mike. Come here. Look at the sky. And he makes this promise. He says, look at the stars. I'm going to make your descendants more numerable than the stars. That was a covenant. That was a promise that he made, and it was unconditional. We are still part of the answer to that. When you trace things back, unconditional, really doesn't matter what you do or anyone else does, I'm doing it, 
right? Then there's a condition, there are conditional covenants. The Mosaic covenant, what was given to Moses as they got out of Egypt, it was and into the promised land, it was con- conditional. Like, if you read it in Deuteronomy, multiple times it says, you will be my people and I will be your God. Almost like an if-then statement. If you'll be my people, then I'll be your God. And follow my commands and do all of these things. That's a conditional covenant. But there was also an unconditional covenant attached to that, the promised land. They were promised this land, and that land was theirs regardless. So the promised land was theirs all along, even while they were wandering for 40 years. And even after they were exiled, it's theirs, unconditional. What's conditional is whether or not they get to inhabit the promised land, <laughs> right? It's, that's the condition the conditional part, right? If you want to inhabit the promised land, you'll need to live for me, he says. You'll you'll follow my directives. You'll have a surrendered heart. You'll obey me. Because God's way, as he knows, is the only life-giving way there is. The promised land is yours, and if you want to inhabit it, you have to live for me. The same is true for us. God's promises for us in the Bible are yes and amen. They are for us. And they're un- they, they exist and they're extended to us unconditionally. You, you hear us say, you know, God loves you no matter what. His love is unconditional. And that's true. But sometimes we could give off the wrong impression and make it sound like, well, I could do whatever I want then. And God still loves me. Well, yeah, you could do whatever you want. And God still loves you. But that doesn't mean you're, you're, you're going to be reaping the benefits of that love. Right? A, a father and a mother love their children no matter what, most, I mean, in, in most cases. It does not mean necessarily that that relationship is going to be good. There are many kids, parents that I pray with, whose kids are not connected to them anymore for one reason or another. They've rebelled or they've walked out or they've decided, you know, they've canceled their parents, whatever you want to call it. Does that mean their parents don't love them? Absolutely not. Their parents love them. But they're really not getting anything from that. The love is unconditional. The love of God is unconditional. But you've got to inhabit that love to reap the benefits of that love, right? And that's what he's talking about here. You've redeemed your people. And the promise that God makes to David is it's both conditional and unconditional. He's going to accomplish this, and we see that. But there are gaps of time between David and Jesus when they're in exile and they're not ruling and they're coming back. That's what God's talking about, the discipline. The Bible says he disciplines those he loves, right? And so there are times where the promise was still there, the covenant was still at work, but boy, they were not reaping any of the benefits of that covenant. There was a condition attached to it. You do things the way that I'm telling you to do them. Why? Because he's some kind of dictator? No, because he knows his way is the only right way. It's the only way of life. People kind of get this mixed up sometimes, but even if you walk through the, the, the Ten Commandments, and you want to say, oh, God makes these rules, arbitrary rules. Well, <laughs> don't murder. Well, that's, I mean, generally a good way to live life. <laughs> Right? Like, don't steal. Yeah, probably some good, you know, good stuff. Don't, don't commit adultery. 
Good. All right. These are not just arbitrary rules by some arbitrary God trying to have fun by making it. This, he shows us the way of life. So when he insists, hey, it's got to be this way, it's because as a loving father would, he's saying, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want these things for you. I want you to have my blessings. In Colossians, it says it in a somewhat of a different way, talking about Jesus. It says, in him, in Jesus, all things are held together. All things. In Jesus, all things are held together. Jesus holds your life together when you let him lead you. Apart from him, all things fall apart. That's the condition. That's the condition. You say, wow, the pastor told us God's love is, uh, God is conditional. There's conditions to the benefits of the covenant and the love of God. Absolutely. God loves you anyway. That's unconditional. And God knows this, though, about Israel. He knows why conditional covenants exist so that he can help save us from ourselves. Look at how pervasive confusion is in this world. It's a world apart from God, in a world that has mass confusion, mass confusion, lawlessness. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, when there's a increase in lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. We see it around us, clear as day. I had a conversation with someone yesterday. We, we prayed. Saturday morning, we had prayer, and we prayed. We were talking about, uh, I, I don't know if I said this, but in my mind, I was thinking particularly about all the LGBTQ confusion, all the things happening with women and men's sports and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I said, hey, let's pray that as people see this outlying and they see kind of the chaos that ensues here and the harm that's being done, it would drive them to the Lord for truth because it's, this, is, this is sinking sand. This ground is no foundation. It's falling apart. It's confusion. It's the opposite of Colossians 1.17. We prayed that way. And if you were at prayer, this is just a cool story. About an hour later, I got a phone call from another friend of mine who had been praying for her spouse for longer than we know them, but we've known them for about 10 years, I think. And I, her, her spouse and I were great friends, but not a believer, not a believer. In fact, dabbled in some paganism and other things. Ironically, he and I got along great. I'm not a pagan, I'm just saying. <laughs> right? But she called to say, hey, I want to let you know something. He's given his life to Jesus. And his reason was, he said, I'm just seeing how crazy things are getting in this world, and I realize the only right answer is Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you were on the call. You heard it, right? Yeah. I put her on speakerphone because these are family friends of ours. And, and that was our prayer at 9 o'clock, and that's still my prayer why? Going back to, look at how per, uh, pervasive confusion is. Why? It's a life apart from God and his promises and his love and his direction and his care and his blessings. It's the opposite of what Colossians says, all things are held together. And that's why conditional covenants exist, to help us 
in times like these. To give us, bring us back to the foundational truths of life that are rock solid. And so he redeems Israel, he preserves them, they're privileged to know him and be used by them, but not because of them, as I've said before, but because of God. And that fuels their worship. It's like David, I, I read this, I want to read it, just read it because it was a great quote. David cannot look at the flock, Israel, without praising the shepherd. It's why God does anything in anyone's life to reveal himself to humanity. But it's also personal. Look at the relationship he has with David, Samuel, Nathan, etc. It's personal, but it's also so we can learn something about God. There's a story about a pastor uh, and a principal at Cambridge who was retiring. And someone had painted a portrait of this gentleman. Uh, and so Mr. Gibson is his name, and he was expressing gratitude. He was, you know, saying something and um, saying thank you for this tribute. And he said this. He said, in the future, people looking at the portrait won't ask who's that man, but who painted that portrait? Because it's that good. So David is doing something like that. Not who are these subjects? Who is Israel? Who's their king? Not who are those sheep, but who gathered them? Who did this thing? All of these things, the covenants, conditional and unconditional, the redemption, the preservation that he does for Israel. We're not standing here going, let's study Israel. We're saying, we, we want to know that God. We want to know, we want that to be, I want that to be my God, which is his intention all along. Verse 25, now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and his house. Do as you've promised so that your name will be exalted forever. When it is said, the Lord of armies is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you since, since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true, and you've promised this good thing to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. Remember this phrase here. Prayer pleads promises. This is David's, David's praying now. And it's, it's almost, if, if, you, if you kind of think through this as you're reading it, because sometimes we'll breeze over a passage like this, because it's like, yeah, he promised it, that's great, God's good, let's move on. Let's find out what happens next. But I think it's significant. God makes a promise. David repeats the promise back to God, and then prays that God would do the promise. Almost like, why would you have to do that? He already said he was going to do that. Well, there's, there's a function there that when we pray, we pray promises. God promises us things. But we enter into participation with that when we ask for those things he's promised. Oftentimes people will ask me, how do I pray? How do I pray? Well, you talk to God. You be real with him. Use your faith to make your prayer more than a voicemail, if you know what I mean. <laughs> right? Sometimes when we, you know, we always like to take time before we eat to acknowledge God before a meal and thank him for that. And I'll be honest, sometimes when we pray those prayers, it's like we're leaving a voicemail. 
<laughs> like, thank you, God, for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? Not that that's not a prayer, but how do I pray? Well, make it more than a voicemail. Really talk to God, right? Really look. And, and the way you learn to talk to God the most is by learning his promises. We'll pray through scripture. Most Saturdays, there'll, there'll be a scripture that comes up, and we'll use that as, as the guide for our prayer. And it's fitting because that's where our faith is supposed to be. It's a relationship with the Lord, right? And a relationship requires two-way communication. Prayer is us talking to him, right? Scripture is him talking to us. And David's responding to the Lord's promises by thanking him for them and then asking him for them. Two-way communication. Now informed prayers. If that seems redundant to you, if you're a parent, you can relate to this. I think, you know, I think my kids know, like, at the end of the day, I'm always going to take care of them. I'm always going to do things for them. I still like for them to ask, right? Because when, when our kids or when someone doesn't ask for things that are promised to them, it could come across entitled, right? That's, that's not how we want to come across to God. He wants relationship with us. He's, it's not enough to say, here you go, I promise you this, have fun. He wants us to engage in those things, but it's also helpful to know how to pray. Pray his promises. In one way, you could be sure, more sure he's going to answer those prayers with a yes than otherwise. Jesus' disciples also asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he, and he gave them some promises. He gave them some things. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us. Protect us. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is why we're here, by the way, for God to manifest heaven on earth, right? It's, it's, why? Otherwise, if, if God didn't want to bring a little bit of heaven to earth, when we gave our lives to him, I think what he would do is just beam us up to heaven, and some of you are like, that would be nice. <laughs> Can we do that? <laughs> well, no, because even in the Lord's Prayer, he's showing us something here. His mission is not just to save us and, uh, from this earth and snatch us to heaven. His mission is to bring heaven to earth. It's why we do all kinds of things that we do. It's why we do the food pantry that she was mentioning, giving away groceries every month, praying with people. It's why, you know, I mentioned movies like The Sound of Freedom, and, and we are heavily invested in projects here in the U.S. and around the world uh, rescuing and restoring victims of trafficking. Why? Because want, we want to manifest heaven. And, and in heaven, there aren't any victims of trafficking. I, I love this phrase from the movie, Sound of, Sound of Freedom. God's children are not for sale. Right? And if God just took every single person who said, all right, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. I, I want you to save me. If he just took them, we would be leaving earth, going to hell in a handbasket. Like, it's not, it's not okay. And sometimes we look at issues that we see in the world around us, and we say, why doesn't God do something about it? Well, he is trying to. The way he does things about anything is through you and I. That's how he works. And so... The disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. They were praying God's promises, but also that God would bring his kingdom here, which ultimately he's, you know, we're talking about David's kingdom here. And ultimately, in all this passage, what we see here, 
David thanking God for his promises, repeating them back and praying, is David's coming into agreement with God. He's coming into agreement with God, and it makes all the difference in the world. That's the condition, really. Are you in agreement with God? Not is God in agreement with you. Are you in agreement with God? Are you living in the promises, first and foremost, of your salvation, repenting of your sin, and letting him be the Lord, the leader of your life? Forgiveness is yours. His love is yours. Restoration is yours when you come in agreement with God. He, he loves you either way. But you only reap the benefits of that when you inhabit that love. You come close to him in honoring your life. In him, all things are held together. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who came from the line of David, that's part of this whole story, he too had to come in agreement with God. He did. We're told in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was given over to, to go to the cross, he knew what was going to happen, right? And we, we can imagine the physical torture that that was going to be, and he's, he, that's inevitably playing through his mind but there's a lot that we still will never be able to fathom because while that's going on, he's also literally taking on the sin of the world. One scripture says that he was actually made to be sin, which is what separates us from God. He's enduring the sin of all the world of all time and being separated from God the Father. So he's staring down this. This part of what him and God, he, he, God decided he needed to do to save you and I. And he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I think I'd be saying the same thing. It's a good thing I, I wasn't Jesus because Je Jesus could have called down angels and said, forget this. I'm done with all of you. I'm the Lord, you guys, you know? So you could just, that's, you know, but that's not God. God is perfect. And his perfect love drives away every fear. And he says, if it's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he had to come in agreement. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's, that's the attitude David has. That means he's a man after God's heart. All of this glory that he's given to God is all that he ever wanted to see happen. He was in agreement with God. Jesus, the same heart times a billion. Not my will, but yours be done. He loves you. He died for you. He has risen to open heaven to you. Can we respond like David and praise God for those promises and plead those promises over our lives? Amen? You should have received communion on your way in. Did everybody get one of these? Did anybody not get one of these? Back here in, in, on my right, if, is, if we can uh, find an usher to uh, get that. Anyone else? Okay, we'll get that right to you, all right? But we're going to receive communion today. And I wanted to do it at the end here because we're ending right here with this prayer. If, it, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
In this case, it's a figurative cup, but he's talking about the cross. And so when we think about covenants, when Jesus rose the cup on, on the, in the Last Supper, he literally said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the covenant in my blood. His unconditional love. It's still up to us whether we inhabit our lives in that love. You don't have to be a member of Life Church to receive this with us. You do need to have some kind of relationship with God. Even if it's strained, you can use this moment to set things right. Did you get your communion yet? Right over here, Tim. Uh, center, my right there. But just a little bit around this time when he prayed this prayer, he was having supper with his disciples. And at the end of supper, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Broken for your healing, broken for this covenant. In the same way after supper, he took the cup And he held it up and he said, this is the cup, the cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant. My blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Now we, we receive this today as a symbol, but to do what he says next, do this anytime you eat this bread and drink this drink in remembrance of me. And this passage, like every passage in the Bible, Old Testament and New, all point us right to him and to the cross. So Lord, Lord, this morning, we thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you for the promises you made to David because we are recipients of those promises also. We thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross and opening heaven to us so that as undeserving as we are, we get that forgiveness and we get those promises. We thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. Let's, if you haven't already, let's receive those two together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just wanna ask you, close your eyes with me. We're going to pray again, but I, want to, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. I, like I said, this is a two-way conversation. God's speaking to us through his word. What's he saying to you? Is, is, he, is he calling you into, into a covenant? Is he calling you into, he's saying, I love you unconditionally. Now come, put your life in my hands. And maybe you're, you're, you're looking at this passage in Colossians where it says, in him all things are held together. And you're saying this morning, yeah, my life is not being held together. I need to put my life in his hands or back in his hands. That's part of this covenant. Say, Pastor, that's where I am today. All eyes are closed. This is between you, me, and the Lord. But you're saying, will you pray for me? Would you just lift a hand and let me know that? I want to pray for you. Amen. Yeah, anyone else? 
Yeah. Just pray for me, Pastor, because the wheels are falling off, man. All right. Ultimately, and, and I think if you raise your hand for that one, this is probably a similar question. But can I ask you, are you in agreement with God? And more specifically, I didn't talk about this as much, but when I say God's promises are true for you, no matter what, I know that there are people, and some in this room perhaps, who are convinced in their hearts that they've blown that for good. That it's, it's, never, it's never gonna happen. That you're in disagreement with God there. And today you need to come in agreement with God and say, okay, I don't deserve it, but I agree with God that his promises are for me and I'm, I'm saying yes to those things. That's you, would you say, Pastor, please pray for me. I wanna come in agreement with God today and stop walking around with shame and guilt. Anybody? Amen. Amen. Coming in agreement. Let's stand together. You were encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.